Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. On yesterday's programmes, we were looking at the story of Ananias and Sapphira and what happened to them as a result of grieving the Holy Spirit. You made the point uh, that the fear that came upon the whole church was a healthy fear. Colin, it wasn't... It wasn't uh, an unhealthy fear, a negative fear, and the church continued to grow. Yes, the um, thing that we must realize is that the work of the Spirit, the movement of the Spirit that was taking place here among these early believers was very, very intense. Now, that is the case wherever revival is taking place, true revival, I don't just mean a move of the Spirit. Um, and you know, in my own experience of revival, when you're in revival, you, you preach judgment as well as mercy. You preach hell as well as heaven because somehow the Holy Spirit of God just causes the whole gospel to, to be communicated. These days, you hardly ever hear anybody talk about judgment and hell. And yet, when I translated the New Testament, the thing that hit me is how much there is about judgment in the New Testament, in the teaching of Jesus, in the Acts of the Apostles, in the Epistles, wherever you look, in the book of Revelation, there's judgment, 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 judgment. Now, Jesus sent his Son to save us from the judgment we deserve. But in the communicating of the gospel, this sense of there being a judgment that everybody is going to have to face was a very much an intrinsic part of the communication of the gospel to the world. And somehow we have substituted for that something that is far more comfortable. You know, just accept God into your heart and life because he loves you. And I believe that we have grievously... Um, done the gospel an injustice because what we communicate is not the truth but a nice wrapped up version of the truth. We've sort of wanted to present the truth wrapped up in nice looking paper with a ribbon around it. You know, here is a lovely gift, you know, just receive it. Our God loves us. Never mind about your sin. He'll forgive you. And yes, he'd like you to live in obedience, but it doesn't matter too much if you don't, you know, because God will forgive you and he'll have mercy and you'll go to heaven in the end. And actually, if you look at the New Testament, the Christian life isn't like that at all. That's a complete aberration of what it means to live in Christ, that when you become a Christian, you are placed in Christ. Christ comes to live in you so that you live the Christ life, so that you live salvation, so that you live in obedience. Jesus says, you will remain in my love if you obey my commandments, just as I remain in my Father's love because I obey his commandments. So we are saved for a life of obedience, not legalistic obedience, not obedience to a written code, but obedience that comes out of our love for God, a desire to live for him, therefore a desire to live for others, as we've been saying on Monday, a desire to, for God to use whatever he has entrusted to us, that we're good stewards of our lives, we're good stewards of our property, of our money, of our time, of everything, because 
he has called us to live for the good and the welfare of his kingdom, to seek that his kingdom will come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yet you say in times of revival, in times of spiritual intensity, such subjects as judgment and hell are are spoken of all the time. Yes, but you see, what you see in times of revival is many, many, many more people coming to the Lord. And I think, and and not not superficially, not you know, ask Jesus into your heart, ask Jesus into your life, which is not a biblical concept at all. God wants to change your heart, give you a new heart, not come into your heart. It's it, it's, uh, and the reason why people get so thoroughly saved, and you find that people that get saved during times of revival, they go on with the Lord. The vast majority. I was reading something the other day about Finney and the revival that took place in the 19th century in um, America. And it was said there that 85% of all those that came to the Lord were therefore thoroughly born again, saved, went on with the Lord throughout the rest of their lives. 85%. That's a very high proportion. I mean, when you look at the evangelism that happens today, the fall-off rate is horrendous. There, there are many people that come and walk with the Lord for a while. Then they find excuse to opt out. You see them no more in church. They get offended by something. And, you know, you find, oh, so-and-so is no longer walking with the Lord. So-and-so is no longer going to church. So-and-so felt offended. So-and-so is having problems. And, and you see, it's not like that in times of revival. No, the vast majority of people get so... Uh, convicted of their sin and their need of God, the depth of the repentance of their turning to God is such that they will go on with the Lord in faithfulness. And this is what we need to see in this and other countries, that there is a move of God where there is such repentance. Now, uh, you know, I, I, I was talking to our students the other day and was saying that how easy it is to become a Christian today. You know, lift up your hand. Just come forward. Pray this sinner's prayer. It wasn't like that in the past. It wasn't like that in Bible times. It was repent and believe. In times of revival, it is you go to the penitence bench, you go to the seeker's room, you get on your knees, you get on your face with God, you pray right through until you have an encounter with God where you know all your sins are forgiven, where you know he has imparted new life. It wasn't, let me pray for you, brother, I'll just pray, God. no, no, people literally wept their way through to the Lord. We've made it all so easy, but in making it easy, we've made it superficial for many, many people. And that's why what we see, superficial Christians in superficial churches leading a superficial kind of Christian Christianity. And when you compare that with, with uh, what is in the scriptures, there's actually very little comparison. There's the, the, the meeting point just hardly seems to exist. And back in 1970, when, my, when the revival began in my Anglican church in in uh, Luton, it was for this very reason that we looked at the life, our lives, and the life of the church uh, in that parish, and we looked at the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament and the life that the early church was living, and, and we thought, where is the comparison? I mean, it, you would think that we were living a completely different religion, a different faith compared to them. And so that's when, uh, by the grace of God, he showed us how 
to to really get into the Word, apply the Word to our lives, be open to the Holy Spirit. And you see, what was created there was the similar lifestyle. We saw the miracles, we saw the healings every week. Every week we were, every day people, there were miracles, every day people were getting saved, just like in the New Testament. But the reason for that is we didn't want anything superficial because we had a council housing estate of 17,000 people. And we knew that you, you weren't going to meet the social needs that were there in the lives of those people and see the transformation of life that was necessary. They weren't even going to be interested in what we were doing as a church unless we had something real, unless we had the life and the power that could transform their lives and take them out of where they were into freedom. So we saw that that move of God happening. And yes, people came from all over the world and all over this nation to see what was happening there and to to meet with God there. And on the one hand, you would say that was good. But on the other hand, it made me sad. I thought, this is ridiculous. Just because one church is beginning to live out the message of the New Testament, why should everybody be so interested? This should be happening in every church. You know, Colin, there'll be people listening to you talking now who who know that they are living that superficial Christianity. And uh, they might even be feeling a little bit afraid, thinking that they're grieving the Holy Spirit. What would you say to them? Well, um, I, I would say that there is a sense in which we all grieve the Holy Spirit, but not to the extent that Ananias and Sapphira were doing, of lying to the Holy Spirit, of trying to be one thing when the Holy Spirit knows we're another. The first thing I would say is be honest with yourself and be honest with God. Because what I found is that if you're honest with God, you can get just about anywhere with him. That this is where the whole process begins. This is where repentance begins. I mean, you, anybody listening to me, you can get before God. You do, it doesn't have to be everybody in the church. You can do this in your own home, in your, in, in your own time with the Lord. Just get before God and be honest about where you are. And, and tell him where you want to be spiritually and ask him to work in you whatever is necessary to take you from where you are to where you need to be. Now, if that is the desire of your heart, you know, this is not just, oh, that's a good idea, it's something that I ought to do. But if this is the desire of your heart, God will work that in you. And what will happen in your life is a personal revival. Now, that will then be able to begin to have an impact beyond yourself in your church, in whatever group you you uh, meet with, with uh, other Christians that you're in relationship with, uh, because more of the Christ who lives in you by virtue of your new birth, the, the more of Christ will actually be manifested in your life and more of the Spirit who he has imparted to you will flow out of you as rivers of living water. Uh, you see, the deeper the repentance, the better the quality of the disciple. That's, that's the whole point. Re repentance isn't just being sorry for our sins. Repentance is the degree to which we turn our lives over to God and surrender to him. That requires the forgiveness of sins, but it requires also the surrender of ourselves to God. You turn away from sin and you turn to God. So how fully have each of us turned to the Lord? That's 
That's the real question. The more we have surrendered to God, have turned to God, the more he can do with us, in us, and through us. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 